You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. All right, let's go ahead and get started. It is fantastic to sit down with the two of you today. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive. Bit angry today uh, after the Supreme Court ruling, but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I understand. We'll, we'll probably get into some of that. If not, then if we don't get into it today, then we will definitely get into it tomorrow in the exclusive. That's a that might be an uncensored one that we would have to talk about mm-hmm. over there anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah we, we might have to hang on to that one until tomorrow. But yes, uh, sorry you're in a bad mood, but uh, it's good to see you nonetheless, so to speak. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, without further ado, the fan favorite has returned and graced us with his presence. Marty, how are you? I'm I'm very well, thank you, chaps. Um, you, you always leave me such a lot to live up to. Um, <laughs> I'm not at all sure that I'm ready to be as popular as as you suggest I am. Although there was indeed one, like, sorry, I can't speak. These teeth are still for the dog. One young lady uh, on the Telegram page um, expressed some satisfaction at hearing my voice, which, uh, I greatly appreciate. Thank you very much. You know who you are. And it sounds like you're, uh, you're broadcasting directly from, uh, Hurricane Central. Is that correct? Um, no, this is, uh, supposed to be a, a thunderstorm with lots of lightning and crashes and bangs, but it's just incessant rain. And I believe it's blowing over from France. So um, I don't know what it's doing here. I'm sure there should be some form of sanction put on French weather from the United Kingdom under Brexit. So, um, you, you know, if you want, please come and get it back. Thank you. Merci beaucoup, mon brave. Uh, yeah, uh, th- that's that's actually a pretty interesting point you bring up there, because I'm sure if there is a way for them to uh, to come up with a uh, plan to sanction the weather, I'm sure that the uh, the crack shots there at the G7 and the United Nations will come up with something. Of course. Yeah, first- but the, 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 the sellout politicians we've had over the last couple of decades have managed to sell much of our standing water and our water, freshwater um, companies to the French. So maybe they've just their reservoirs are full, so they've sent it over here. So that's that's probably what's happening. It's entirely possible. All right. So without further ado, let's let's go ahead and jump right into this because uh, we're we're having some connectivity issues this evening, and I'm sure it's the weather. Uh, I'm sure this. I'm sure it's not. Um, uh, I'm sure it's not anything more than that. But uh, we're going to make do with what we got. So I wanted to touch base with you, Marty, because Freedom Day is not Freedom Day anymore. Uh, it has been revoked. Oh, no. Yeah, it, it's, it's been revoked. Uh, we talked about it the other day when Boris Johnson came out and made his statement. And, of course, the memes followed up directly after that and said that, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it, we're, well, we're just going to have to uh, continue on uh, with, with the measures that we have in place because uh, we don't want to risk a possible another million uh, dead. Now, Bruce and I went over some of the numbers earlier this week, and the day he gave that announcement, you had a total of three COVID deaths in the entirety of the United Kingdom. 
And then if you go back one week prior to that, of course, they said the week prior to that, that uh, the deaths at the time they reported said that the deaths had more than doubled within a week. They had one death on the week prior to that. So the deaths did more than double. And they said that the cases had risen by more than 240 percent, which you had a total of 7,000 cases, 7,700 cases at the time that they reported that. So because we've got 700, or we've got 7,700 new cases and we have three people in the whole of the United Kingdom die from COVID-19, we have to shut everything down. We have to continue to keep everything shut down. Well, some may say that Freedom Day isn't happening, but I personally will be exercising all of my freedoms as of Monday, paying no attention whatsoever to any kind of restriction at all. And yes, you can make statistics and numbers say anything you want to. We've used the phrase before, lies, damn lies, and statistics. So yes, of course, these COVID deaths, which I've absolutely no doubt were people with pre-existing morbidities, the immunocompromised, um, the week before was one, it went up to three, and yeah, they've used that as, as the rationale to continue the successive approximation. No, I think it goes further than that because we were hearing reports that uh, there were some leaked documents uh, somewhere that the government had no intentions whatsoever of reducing the, uh, the restrictions at all, regardless of what the numbers said. It didn't matter if you had zero deaths for an entire week straight or an entire month straight. They wouldn't have cared. They're going to continue on with the restrictions regardless. And in fact, this was a topic of conversation that was brought up in Westminster as of uh, as of yesterday, I believe. Uh, hang on just a second. I have the audio of that, I believe. I'd be interested to know if the department has developed plans for restrictions this winter and if the Secretary of State has been discussing it with Whitehall colleagues or not. I'm grateful. Just on that point uh, that the Shadow Health Secretary mentioned about those restrictions, um, I, I know that those discussions are, are going on because I've seen documents from within government with very detailed um, suggestions about what measures may continue. So um, and I asked the Secretary say, about this um, when he uh, was in the Commons earlier this week, and he didn't rule out bringing in restrictions this winter, which is one of the reasons why colleagues like uh, in, on our side of the House are very concerned and why we're not going to vote for these regulations. Today. What I wanted to take him back to, though, was his comments about what Chris Hobson said about the NHS and the fact that the NHS is very busy at the moment. Because there is a danger here, and I'm very sympathetic to, to colleagues who work in the NHS, who've done a fantastic job. But I don't think we can get to a point where we restrict and manage society in order to manage NHS waiting lists. Um, I don't think that's the right way round. The NHS is here to serve society. If it's the case that we need to enable it to do that, we have to think of a way of doing it other than putting restrictions on the rest of society. I don't think that's a sustainable or a desirable position, but it's the logical consequence, I think, of what Chris Hobson was saying earlier this month. So here's a man who's sitting here talking sense to uh but I believe he said he was the shadow health secretary and he's not interested in hearing any of it. They don't care about the actual data. They don't care about common sense. They don't care about logical thinking or, or anything like that. 
everything that they've done up to this point has been an anathema to all of that. In your opinion, where do we go from here? Where, where do the where do the English people go from here? Because I mean, what, what kind of sense are you getting from people on the ground over there about uh, about these measures? They're talking about now that uh, th- these documents that he's sitting here speaking of, these are restrictions that are going to go on into spring of next year. And the UK government is in the process right now of hiring COVID marshals that they're going to employ through the spring of 2022. Um, I hate to uh, to to just keep repeating myself, but we are in a situation that has been engineered. And I mentioned quite some time ago that certain unscrupulous big pharma companies and medical healthcare insurers have got their eyes on that huge chunk of uh, the British market that is the NHS. There is lots of whisperings, although they're more like shouts really, um, about all NHS workers being forced to either have the vaccination, they'll be given 16 weeks in in which to have the vaccinations, or they will lose their jobs. Funny old thing that the uh, NHS being, I think, the largest employer in the country, most of its people are educated medical health care professionals. Of course, you've got administrators, you've got cleaners, you've got other people, but they all move in and around highly qualified, highly intelligent medical healthcare professionals. And if they are forcing the uptake of the vaccine amongst that community, there has to be a problem. And of course, if they do start telling people, sorry, you can no longer work with the NHS, the waiting lists will just get longer and longer and longer. It's all part of the plan, part of the, the, the evil plan that we are being or having inflicted upon us and... Every word that's said in the House of Parliament at the moment is a complete waste of time, including the protestations of Sir Desmond Swain, who um, roundly criticised the government, saying that this government doesn't trust its own people. But there's a man who's had his jabs and did the social media thing um, to, to show him having his jabs. In fact, I think the first picture, it looked like the cap was still on the needle, but There you go. That's my take on it. Anything that's said in the House of Parliament at the moment or the House of Lords is a complete load of waffle. And it's only there to reinforce the propaganda message that the government is putting out. Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree with you there. Uh, It is it is seems seemingly it's it's the same way in, in just about every Western nation at the moment. It's a waste of time. The things that are said in there, because the Chinese Communist Party and the World Economic Forum have been focusing on elite capture. And that's all that they've done is they've gone in, they've bought off the leadership. They don't have all of the little underlings, I would say, but they have all of the leadership and that's all that they need uh, at the moment. But uh, yeah, to your point there about the, uh, the the NHS workers being forced to take the jab, I saw the uh, I saw the article come out of the Times of London yesterday on that. And uh, they're talking about uh, mandatory COVID vaccine, uh, vaccines for NHS and care home staff. Uh, and Boris Johnson's all for it. Now, here's another thing. You said that when Sir Desmond Swain got his jab for the social media crowd, it looked like the cap was still on it. Well, that's what's been going on with a lot of the celebrities, like Anthony Hopkins, for example. He was uh, doing his little photo op, went into the uh, the drive through there, didn't get, well, cap was off the needle, but uh, the, uh, the nurse shot it off to the side onto the sidewalk. You could see it. If you slowed it down, you could see it. Arnold Schwarzenegger, same thing. Doesn't get the cap taken off the needle. Boris Johnson goes out and gets supposedly gets a jab for this thing, and he already had it. What? Why on earth would you go out? If I, for example, if I go out and I get the flu, 
I'm not going to go get a flu shot or jab, whatever. I'm not going to go get one of those things. He supposedly already had this thing. Of course, if you believe Dominic Cummings, he wanted to do it on on TV uh, for the uh, for for the entertainment value of it. But even so, it's all it's all a farce. When I see the headlines come out that say that the NHS, uh, the NHS workers and the care home staff, they're being forced to take it. That to me is the political establishment and the people that uh, that own them that to me is their signal that's their telegraph telling the public that okay we're going to do this because you're not taking these things if people were taking them they wouldn't need to force it they they wouldn't need to do that i think that's what's happening is is that the nhs workers the ones that can actually see through it i mean i've seen several nhs nurses that have come out against it they've been fired from their jobs They've been uh, let go. They've been put on administrative leave, all the rest of it that come out and publicly say this is a load of nonsense. None of this is actually happening. The hospitals are not overloaded. You saw what happened to the poor woman in uh, I think it was Gloucestershire. She went down to the hospital because of the second wave to check out what was going on at the uh, the A&E down there. And it was empty. The whole place was vacant. She was walking around an empty hospital. And uh, and I think that, uh, again, this this thing that they're pushing here about NHS workers making this mandatory, that to me signals that the NHS workers and the care home staff and all the rest of it, they're not taking them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's right. And but today the figures are out on on the the BBC lies. Sorry, BBC News. The 80 percent of the adult population have now been vaccinated. So all that's left now is to poison the kids. So um, that's what they're aiming for. And of course, they're blaming this uplift, this huge uplift of cases, which is nothing really when you look at the actual numbers. Of course, if you call it a percentage on the, from the previous week, it's 300% or 240% increase. And they're blaming it on the 30 years old and under age bracket. They're saying it's it's all, all them going out and seeing the friends and... Uh, drinking and the pubs open and so on they're just using any excuse and fudged figures again to um to keep this message going and you know i i could only speak for myself but come monday um what was supposed to be freedom day i will no longer be wearing a mask anywhere if i get refused service i'll just leave but that's it i'm i'm done with it totally done with this bull you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I was talking about this. Uh, I was, yeah, Bruce and I were talking about this last night. I don't believe those numbers. You said that the media is reporting, the BBC are reporting that 80% of the adult population have received one or more jab. I don't buy those numbers. Are, are you saying that, that people actually believe those numbers? Because I don't. These are the same people that told us the cases were off the charts and we had a second wave and the hospitals were empty. I don't believe those vaccination numbers. Well, I've got a short message for the people who are buying everything that the BBC News says. And it's this. Bar, 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 bar. Which in ovine parlance means, please wake up, you are being lied to. I don't think it can get any more clear than that. Bruce, you want to jump in there? I feel like we're monopolizing the time already. I mean, you guys are doing a great job on on, on covering it. I, I don't really have much to add other than the fact that um, I'm in agreement when it, when it comes to expect you're being lied to. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what's going on. There's a, they like the control that they're getting and they're trying to get more. The thing is, control 
is only any good if you're going to use it to a certain end. And it's the fact that the, the people who are still following along the advice like a flock of sheep, they don't see what the possible end goal of this conspiracy is. Uh, and it is a conspiracy, and it's a conspiracy against everyone who's not involved on the face of the earth. So we need to reiterate, perhaps, maybe not in this, this particular podcast, but maybe in the next one, what their goals are, what they are really trying to achieve. And, and we, we need to somehow drag out the evidence, circumstantial or not, but because they're very clever and they don't leave much evidence to prove you know, exactly what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. No, I, I think you're absolutely right there. You, you bring up an interesting point. You said, do you think that they're very clever? They are. These are very intelligent people that we're dealing with. I think that we have to accept the fact, and I, I've never once doubted this, but uh, we have to accept the fact that both sides here are being played. W would you agree with that statement that both sides are being played, the right and the left, the far right and the far left are being played here? That's the thing you see. Uh, when everyone has to have an extreme opinion, it's so easy for clever Machiavellian types to exploit that. So I think we're fairly down the middle as far as we are true libertarians. I think that's why we can have a conversation that doesn't end in an argument, even if we disagree. Whereas where you've got extremes of, of view, you're always going to be able to create just enough friction to trigger one side or the other. And, and that's exactly what they've done. And they, they are using it to their advantage. Well, I, I mean, maybe maybe I wasn't maybe I shouldn't mention the extremes. OK, we already know the position of the extreme left. OK, we, we already know that Antifa, BLM, we, we know where they stand. But I look for somebody on the extreme right, the supposed extreme right. I'm talking like the, the neo-Nazi skinhead uh, extreme right. I'm looking for them because I'm going to be one of the first people along with the two of you. We're going to be the first people to call them out, but I'm not seeing them. So they need an opposition. Uh, it doesn't work when, when they're doing this cultural Marxism stuff. You have to have an opposing point. You have to have a thesis and an antithesis in order for the dialectic of Marxism to work. If you don't have that, then Marxism doesn't work. So they're fomenting this, but they paint Donald Trump. And believe me, I'm not sitting here being a cheerleader for Donald Trump, especially by what I'm about to say. They're painting him as and, and uh, what he represents as the opposition. And, and I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I mean, I think that's that movement, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm misreading it. I, I don't know. But I feel like that aspect with Trump and company, I feel like that uh, maybe maybe people are getting played by going along with this even further, because I look at the company that Donald Trump is keeping these days, and I'm not impressed by what I see at all. I, I'm not impressed by that. I'm not impressed by the statements he puts out about these vaccines. We're in this mess because of this uh, this cutting of the red tape and this Operation Warp Speed, and make no mistake about that. I know all the people out there that are cheerleaders for Trump and, and all the rest of it. That's a sad fact of reality. Now, I mean, if he wants to to come out and, and make a statement, say, OK, you know what? I, look, I just wanted to get the economy up and I was misled. And, and you know, what do you think was going to happen? You, you cannot just hand over all of this, all the health security and everything else to, to people like Gates and Fauci. Who did you think was going to run with this? When they got a hold of it. And now you've got him still championing experimental vaccines that are not even vaccines on an unsuspecting populace. And we're approaching, if we haven't already hit it, 6,000 deaths in the United States alone. 
6,000 deaths that are vaccine related. That's reported by the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Reaction System. And we've got around, what is it, like 300,000 people that have had an adverse reaction or have been uh, seriously injured by these things. So I, I think both sides are being played here in that regard. I'm not talking necessarily about the extreme right. I don't see any extreme right. I want the extreme right and the extreme left put out of business yesterday. I want all of them put out of business. I want Antifa. I want BLM. I want the neo-Nazis, the National Socialists. I want them all shut down. But I don't see the extreme right anywhere. Now, you've got political parties that are up there trying to save their sorry behinds that are calling the ones that oppose them the extremists. But I don't I don't see the the Antifa, uh, the excuse me, I don't see the antithesis of Antifa popping up anywhere. I, I don't see these these groups that uh, Biden and, and his administration are talking about that are the greatest threat to uh, to national security. I, I don't see these groups. I personally think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to, and all Western governments are guilty of this, they're trying to insulate themselves from a possible, what they consider to be a counter-revolution, because that's what Marxism is. When you are attempting a revolution, when you're in the middle of a revolution, you need to guard against a counter-revolution. So you need to stop any opposing points. So when the, the English, when you guys in the UK, when you put a million people in the streets of London to protest this, I personally think that, that I mean, that's not extreme right. I, I don't see those people out there burning businesses down. I, I don't see those people out there uh, beating people over the head with clubs if you don't agree with them. I don't see that at all. I don't see them out there destroying property. I don't see them out there tearing up businesses and leaving their trash all over the place. I don't see that. I see people that are out there marching peacefully down the streets. That's not an extremist movement. I can see extremist movements coming a mile away, and so can the two of you, and so can our listeners. But I, I'm not seeing I all think, this stuff. So I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go on. But, no, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, I, I think it depends on what the protesting group are motivated by. The Marxist groups, BLM, Antifa, so on and so forth. In my opinion, they are motivated by jealousy. They're jealous of what people who have worked hard all their life have got, and they want to take it from them. They've got this crazy, distorted Robin Hood idea of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. The far right are also motivated by negative emotions, by hatred, by racial mistrust, those kind of things. So, yes, when they go out and protest, it's violent, it's destructive, just the same way as the the jealous avarice of the far left is destructive. But those million people in London marching and protesting peacefully are motivated by the love of freedom. They're not motivated by a negative emotion. So, so that's where the difference is. That's where, that's my opinion anyway. What do you guys think? They're for something instead of being against it. That That's one of the things that I've, I've kind of been pushing on a little bit is that's great. You're against something, but you need to find something that you're for and stand for the something instead of using the negative emotion to be against something. So that, that that's um, I haven't really. But on, that's, on that's, that that's really well put, Bruce. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that, that was nice. I've got the, the old saying, if a ship doesn't know which port it is heading to, then no wind is favorable. So if you don't know where you're going with something, whatever is happening around you isn't actually going to help you get there. So um, I, you're right. You need you need to to be for something. You, you want a particular outcome and, and you push for that outcome. Now, 
we both, all three of us are supposed to be living in democracies. And if enough people want something to happen, then it should be happening. But the majority of people don't want forced redistribution of wealth out of the pockets of people who have earned it and worked hard for it into the pockets of people who have done nothing, just stood with their hand out waiting for the next government aid. And likewise, we don't appreciate people who treat people of other races as inferior. We are libertarians. We believe in in freedom. Uh, and it, it shouldn't matter, you know, what colour, what race you are, any of those things. If you are a legal citizen of that country or any given country, then you should be entitled to the liberties afforded to all citizens in that in that country. However, I will say this, just just to qualify what I'm saying now, is that the mass exodus from North Africa and the Middle East across into Europe of illegal immigrants or refugees as the status they'd, they'd like to claim, but most of them are financial migrants, is wrong. Likewise, the borders of the US and, and Mexico need to be protected. The, the jobs of, of people in America need to be protected from a workforce that is only, happy, only too happy to undercut them uh, in terms of pay. So if you're a legal citizen, Regardless of your race, your origin, uh, your colour, you should be afforded the, um, the, the full liberties and benefits of being a citizen of that country. With the exception of uh, voting, uh, I, would, I would throw that one in there. Well, do, do you know what? If, um, if someone from Southern Ireland uh, lives and works in the United Kingdom, they're entitled to vote. If someone from uh, the UK lives in Southern Ireland, they are not entitled to vote in Southern Irish elections. There's a immediate discriminatory inequality, uh, as an example. So voting, you need to be a citizen to vote. That's what I would advocate. I don't know about you guys, but I think yeah. you need yeah, to yeah, be yeah. paying in and contributing for your franchise to be granted to you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You, you, need to be, uh, you need to be a citizen in order to vote. And this, this is the problem that we're running into. Uh, I, and to be honest with you, I I think that the UK, probably not so much as what it is in the US. And uh, I mean, maybe we, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but the voting thing. I mean, I know we're going through the election audits in the States right now. And what we're finding over there, and this is this has been going on for a long time. Uh, for example, places like California. California has something called motor voter. And what that is, if you turn up in the United States from a foreign country and you apply for a driving license, all you have to do is, for example, in the state of California, is say, I'd like to register to vote while I'm here. Okay, no problem. Here you go. Just sign right here and you can vote. Now, that is a problem, in my opinion, because these people are coming from, and it's not just Central and South America. I'm not, I'm not picking on them. It's from everywhere else. It doesn't matter if they come from uh, India, right? And I'm not bashing the Indian people, but again, it goes back to the cheap labor you're talking about. For example, American corporations, they will hire in, for example, a tech worker from India. They'll bring them in for $30,000, let us say $30,000 or $40,000, whatever. They're paying an American worker to do the same job, eighty-five dollars to $90,000 a year. Well, why would you keep that American worker around if you can hire them in and bring them in on an H-1B visa? Well, they can also vote while they're there because if you're in places like California and Silicon Valley, for example, you can vote. 
Well, then you can do that. On top of that, you have chain migration. You can bring your entire family over and then everybody can sign up to vote. And the problem you run into, and this is also the problem we run into on social media, is these people that they employ and the people that they bring over, they vote for not only the the, the party that champions them being brought there, which in a lot of cases, I have to say, as much as I hate to admit it, is the Republican Party, because the Republican Party is about big business and cheap labor. Never forget that. The Democrats want them there because they just want to put them on the dole. But they bring them in. And these are people that that don't understand. And, and I'm not I'm not bashing them. I'm just pointing out a fact. They don't understand the rights that are given to American citizens by birth. They don't understand that or any other Western nation for that matter, whether you're a UK citizen, a French citizen, a German citizen, a Dutch citizen, doesn't matter. You don't understand the rights that people fought and died for in order for you to live free here. They don't understand that. They come from places where they don't have rights. And that, that's another tool of the elite. That's another play by the elite is they want the people in that big thrall of an underclass that doesn't understand what freedom and, and rights are. Having lived in, in the UAE for as long as I did, there's a country which, you know, gives only its indigenous citizenry any kind of vote. Uh, it gives them more rights than anyone who is there as you know to, there to work on a, on a working visa and is totally discriminatory but in that country i would say probably about 85% of the business administration jobs are held by people from india in fact the locals that i know quite often called the uae the uie as in the united indian emirates because there's only just under a million emiratis but there's 7 million people in the country, and a good 4 million of those are people from India. Uh, and to be honest, my experience of, of all administrators in the UAE was a bad one. They took too long to sort things out. They were inept, they were incompetent, but they were cheap. So when you can earn three, maybe four times what you're earning in your own country by going to a place where you are not a first-class citizen, but you are a second-class, I'm trying to think of the word, it's, it's not a residency visa, you can, you, can, you can reside there, but you can never become a citizen. So people still go. But when they come to, to America, for instance, under those visas that you were mentioning, they suddenly realise that they've got loads of freedoms, everything's great. And no, they're not earning as much as an American counterpart might be for as long as that counterpart arts job lasts, they're still happy because they've got a little bit of money for themselves and they send the rest back to India. That's how it works. Getting the whole voter situation under control is like a really big, important one, not just for the US, but for every country. Because as you guys are saying, people coming in from other countries have a different mentality, a different mindset, uh, a different way of seeing the world. They don't understand for example, one of the issues that we're running into here with, um, you know, in a red state, uh, we have people from California coming in and California has really great welfare systems there and it's caused their their state to tank. We don't want those kind of things here in, in this part of the country and to have them come over and then want to just start electing those types of people. It doesn't work. You, you have to understand the, the, the small city, the small town living and how we work together and help one another 
welfare systems don't work. So using that as an example, you, you can't have these people coming from other countries, as you were saying, they have a completely different mindset. I mean, even if it's just a system in place to uh, once you become a resident uh, or even, you know, as you're working towards, you need to have that education uh, of get what it feels like to be in the U.S., understand the, the procedures and everything. So having some kind of system in place to to help educate them and help uh, acclimate them to uh, the new culture they're in so that you can, you know, understand and and have respect for the the freedoms that you you have now acquired. And I think it goes to another uh, on top of that, when you have people coming from other countries that have different cultures, different languages, those kind of things, they're easier to exploit when you get them into uh, a, a new country. Um, you know, if, if they don't speak English, for example, or they speak it poorly, they may not understand um, uh, the, the uh, ins and outs of businesses or the, the legal rights that they have or what typically the average person makes so they're they're willing to work for less not understanding that technically you could get a lot more for what you're doing and you know the people are being exploited i don't want them to be exploited so you know it's just as much in their benefit as it is for the rest of the country all right marty you mentioned earlier and i i want to kind of bring it back to to where we uh, let off tonight i want to i want to get back into this there's a new news network over there that's popped up called gb news have you heard of it Yes. Yes, I have heard of GB News. I've tried to watch some. However, <laughs> I don't know where they bought their, their cameras from, but it's grainy. Um, it's not a pleasant picture. The sound quality isn't great. And the presenters, uh, quite frankly, still get up my nose. So it's, uh, it is new. I haven't really seen it... Um, have any have any real benefit you know any made any real difference other than one lady of color if i'm allowed to use that phrase she was speaking about taking the knee and blm and she was so dead set against it and and it was refreshing to hear someone say that live on tv and not be censored by virtue signaling um interviewers and and so on so maybe it is a good thing. I will have to give it more of a chance. Yeah, I kind of caught some of it. Yes, it does have some pretty bad video quality, but if it's just a small outfit uh, and they're just getting off the ground, yeah, I can see that. You know, it's, it's kind of what you do. I mean, hell, we started around here with, uh, I think, Bruce, we started with a couple of cans and some string. Uh, is, isn't that how we started our, <laughs> uh, our podcast here? And Basically, we've yeah. slowly upgraded and we're, we're rocking and rolling with some good studio equipment now. But it just it takes time, right? It, it just takes time. You know, we've, we've added video stuff as well uh, behind the scenes here. And it's, you know, it's it, it's been a slow progression. And of course, the software that we use is also, you know, we got a software upgrade as well. Thanks, GP. So uh, all of it plays a part in that. So I think that, you know, give it time. Maybe it, maybe the quality of it will improve as they pick up sponsorships and things. Because what's that old adage? Freedom is sexy. You know, fr freedom is the new punk rock. Isn't that kind of how it goes? But Nick Watt, and now I know he doesn't, I know he doesn't work for uh, GB News. He works for the BBC. You know who Nick Watt is, Marnie? Uh, no, you've got me there, I'm afraid. Who is Nick Watt? Okay. He is a BBC reporter and he showed up at, uh, he's a political editor and he showed up 
at a uh, at a protest outside of ten da- number ten Downing Street. You heard about the protest down at uh, number ten on Monday, uh, yes. So he yes, showed up yes. down there. Yeah, he he showed up down there, and he was met uh, by a very angry mob. And the police, the uh, the Met who were down there, they just stood there, and no word was said to any of the uh, the people. Now the people didn't touch him. They, they didn't touch him. They did get into his face and they did shout at him and uh, shouted several things. I do have audio of it uh, and I will play it. He tried to head towards the police for protection and uh, they didn't offer him any protection. He had to jump back across the barricades, uh, about two or three different lines of barricades in order for him to uh, to finally be uh, away from these uh, these protesters. But I want to play this and, and I want to see if, if this is the typical sentiment that uh, the people are having over there because, I mean, the protest down at number 10 was because of uh, the refusal to uh, lift the lockdowns and uh, the extension of uh, Freedom Day. So let's hear what... Uh Let's hear what Mr. Watt had to put up with down at the protest. How can it be legal to lock people in their houses without drugs doing Okay, you get the idea. Uh, that that's what he had to put up with down there. Isn't it funny that the the police offered him no assistance? Now, do you think that was police officers exercising their own conscience? Or do you think they were just waiting until he was actually assaulted, which would then give them the excuse to break up the the demonstration and treat the demonstrators with violence? What what do you think on, on out of those two choices, which one is the more likely? I think the more likely choice there is that they could have been waiting. I think that's the more likely choice. And maybe it could have been the first one. I also lean towards the first one. I'm split on this one because uh, the video shows him running towards the police for assistance. The police did nothing. And so he tried to run uh, down around the corner and no police followed to see if he would have been assaulted. He was out of their view. So even if he would have been assaulted, there would have been no way for uh, for for them to uh, to see it and to step in. So I, I want to say it's a little of both. I I don't want to take one side or the other there because he he tried to get away and I, like like I said he was not assaulted. No one touched him. No no one laid a hand on him. Uh, they were just in his face shouting, you know, you're scum, you're a traitor. How can you justify writing op-ed pieces that that say we need to lock people in their houses? Uh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're you're scum. And th- like I said. He was not assaulted, but the police didn't seem to care whether he would have been or not. The other thing to consider, of course, is police forces, particularly in the United Kingdom, are very well trained and had a contingent of those police that were stood there have given chase and and followed him to protect him. That could have been part of the plan for uh, protesters to attack the police. Of course, in this particular case... It wasn't because, as we mentioned, or something, they're for freedom, they're for liberty, and and they're not the useful idiots of the right of the far right or the far left. So maybe they were just briefed to maintain that position. But 
Yeah, I haven't seen that video. I'll, I'll have to have a look at it. But it, it just makes you wonder because one person being hounded by many, whether they deserve it or not, you would normally expect the police to offer some form of protection. Correct. Uh, Bruce, uh, you clicked on there. Do you, uh, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, he, he gave them multiple choice there. And I, 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 me being the cynical me, I would say number two is the more likely outcome. You think they were waiting to and, see and, you uh, solved, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and so do I. And I used to have the utmost respect for the institutions of this great country of mine, but I'm losing them daily. And there's an interesting cartoon, and it shows uh, uh, an Antifa hoodlum running towards a police line with a petrol bomb and the news crew by the side of the road and the, the reporter's going, wait, wait, to the cameraman. And then when the police break lines and chase and he's just thrown a petrol bomb at them, the reporter says, now take the photograph. And, and that's what we're up against. Where the media is able to manipulate us so easily by only showing us the bits they want us to see. And likewise, you've got all kinds of bad actors on social media who will show part of a video. Those ones that we've discussed in the past about you know what seems like excessive force uh, from, from uh, American policemen. We haven't seen the bit of the video beforehand, and I, and I accept that. So the media is too easily manipulating masses. I think that's one of the points that uh, reporters like uh, Andy No, who's the uh, editor-at-large at, large at uh, Post Millennial, and he, he's been tracking Antifa. As a matter of fact, he fled to, uh, to London there for a while uh, in hiding because he was, being, he was tracking Antifa and BLM in London. Uh, to keep with his work because uh, he was being death threatened in the United States. I mean, he was being tracked down by Antifa in the U.S. So he fled to, to London uh, and he could still continue to uh, to do his work there. Of course, he's back in the States now. And I think it was the first or second day back Antifa tried to kill him uh, in downtown mm -hmm. Portland. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, he says the same thing. He's He's been tracking Antifa for a good number of years now. And he says, what you're not getting is the context. That's what you're missing. Uh, and he was making this point during the uh, uh, the time that they were trying to burn down the federal courthouse in Portland. And the, uh, the, the aspect here is that the Antifa mobs and the BLM mobs, they will walk up to a police officer. They will assault that police officer. They will taunt that police officer. They will get that officer. They will provoke them into a response. And once the response happens, then the media cameras turn on once the response. Happens. And then that turns them into not the aggressor. It turns them into the victim. And then they can play the narrative. Oh, look, you have peaceful protesters out here that are fighting the fascist tyranny of the state uh, that, that are fighting for, for freedom. It allows them to play that agenda onto an unsuspecting populace. Exactly what you're saying. Yes. All right. So let's let's switch up here. You said that there was a, a young a young woman of color who was on uh, GB News. She's a she's an anchor over there. And she seems like she has her head screwed on straight. And she was talking about people that were taking the knee and how awful it is that she has to sit there and look at it. Well, there's an MP who goes along with it, a senior MP by the name of Jacob Rees-Mogg. And you've mentioned him here before. And he's defended the, uh, the England fans. And of course, you know what's going on right now. Football's back, so to speak. The Euro tournament's going on now. Uh, and you got teams out there. It's the whole thing's full of propaganda. The whole thing's full of like World Economic Forum propaganda. It's disgusting. But Jacob Rees-Mogg said that booing 
of and they're booing people taking the knee and the media is saying that that's racist if you're booing that. No, Jacob Rees-Mogg is making the correct point here. He's saying that booing the players that are taking the knee is a pushback against wokeness and it's not uh, something that, that should be considered racist. I think he's correct on that, don't you? Right. Jacob Rees-Mogg um, trying to be a man of the people is, isn't quite right because he's, he's not a man of the people. Um, he's probably never watched a professional football game in his life. He's more into his cricket and probably watched rugby, although I imagine he didn't play much at his private school. But and I hate making this argument for the other side because there is another side in this. Football fans in the majority are mob rule, okay? And inside that that mob, there are racists. There is no doubt about it. There are people who will throw bananas at coloured players the people who will make monkey noises and and those kind of things. That's that, shameful. That, that, that's shameful. players, and it it is shameful. It is shameful. I am behind the booing, but I'm only behind the booing if it's motivated from the right direction. If it is purely a, I don't want you showing an anti-racist gesture because I'm a racist. I'm going to boo you. What I want. The, the the football fan masses to be booing for is because it's kowtowing to an anarchistic Marxist organization that has no real interest in inequality. What it wants is to break society down. And if they're booing for those reasons, great. And Mog is right to come out and say so. But if they are booing for the racist reasons, because all it takes is one or two people in the crowd to start booing before you know where they are, because they've got that hive mentality, that mob attitude, they'll all be booing. So that that's where I am on it, really. I, I don't like seeing sportsmen take the knee in support of Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter doesn't really care about black lives. It cares about tearing down society. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And that's you're absolutely right on that. I, I don't I don't think that the players really even buy into it. I think some do, maybe, sure. But I think at the end of it, they're just doing what they're told. Because if you watch some of them that are doing it, and and I mean you can go through and you can see them on YouTube. If you watch some of these players that are doing it, they do it for as least amount of time as possible. And they just kind of you know, shake their head or whatever, and then they'll stand up uh, as soon as as soon as they feel it. But I mean, I, I think that it goes to the larger point here of, of the uh, the overall agenda, right? You say it's all part of the plan. Well, the, the agenda of BLM is to break down society, to break down uh, the traditional family structure on their website. Of course, it's been changed since then. But the original website said that we are against the Western prescribed nuclear family. We're for the destruction of that. Well, that that's the underpinning of our of our civilization. I, I think players are doing it because they have a career that they're concerned about. They have uh, endorsements. And you know what this mob will do, whether you're a sports star, whether you're a celebrity, whether you're uh, a politician. The mob has intimidated the people in these positions. And if you don't conform, you're gotten rid of. It's as simple as that. You will lose yeah. all of your yeah. all of your sponsors. You will lose your your job as a as a footballer. You'll, you'll never play football again. Their greed is trumping their principles. So if you consider some of those players, and and this is a conservative estimate, 
are being paid somewhere in the region of 60 to 70,000 pounds a week just to turn up to training, whether they play in that week's game or not. Where they're really making the money is out of those sponsorship deals and other bits and pieces as well. And it's a lot of money. And people are prepared to break their principles for a lot of money. Look at politicians. There we have it. Well, speaking of that, uh, this this is a this was fascinating to me. I saw this uh, happen. I, I saw the video of him uh, actually doing this. Cristiano Ronaldo. Everybody knows Cristiano Ronaldo, whether or not you're a, a fan of football or soccer or whatever you want to call it. This guy single handedly, <laughs> he's worth billions of dollars uh, and or euros or pounds or whatever currency. It doesn't matter. He's one of the most highly valued sports stars on the planet, and he sat down. And, and he's still playing. You know, he's still a, he's still a, a, an epic player. The guy's amazing. But he sat down at a um, uh, at a press conference after a game. And as he sits down, he looks at the cameras are already rolling. He sits down. He looks at the bottle of Coca-Cola that's sitting in front of him. That's the official sponsor of the the uh, the Euro tournament that's going on right now. And he looks at it and he just kind of, you know, puts his head to the side of it and everything. And he he picks it up and he sets it off to the side out of the view of the camera. And he holds up his bottle of water and he says agua, which is water in Spanish and Portuguese. The next day, the next day after that, it just happened a couple of days ago. The next day, Coca-Cola lost four billion dollars in market share just because he did that. And now he's... <laughs> He's essentially he's he's prompting calls for other sports stars to reject junk sponsors, right? Coca-Cola is one of those junk sponsors. Uh, the French player, uh, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. He's a, he's a he plays on the French national team, one of their best players. He also plays for Manchester United. Oh man, it's it's going to hit me here in just a minute. But he sat down and he's a devout Muslim, and he sat down at his press conference after they played the game against Germany uh, the other night. And there was a bottle of Heineken that was sitting in front of him. Now, of course, you know, living nine years in the Middle East, as you as you did, you know that Muslims, devout Muslims, don't drink. They can't drink. So what does he do when he sits down in front of the uh, uh, in front of the bottle of Heineken? He does the same thing that Ronaldo does. He looks at it and he picks it up and he puts it out of the shot. He gets it out from uh, out from in front of him. And again, Heineken, another big sponsor of uh, of the uh, the Euro tournament. And you can see on the, the wall behind them all the different sponsors. You see Coca-Cola up there. You see Heineken up there. You, and you see all the other companies that are up there sponsoring the thing. And these are all woke corporations. These are all people that are on board with the ESGs and, and the SDGs and Klaus Schwab and company down in Davos. Do you think that sports stars have too much of a, a, a say like that when it comes to like market share? Or do you agree with them? I hap- Me personally, I happen to agree with what they're doing. I think that these companies are, um, are 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 garbage anyway because they're on board with these agendas that we're sit up we're sitting up here every day adamantly opposing. And by the way, the player's name before I forget, Paul Pogba. Sorry, that's his name, Paul Pogba. Uh, yeah, I I agree with the players, quite frankly, but that they're, they're kind of hypocritical because they're still taking seventy five thousand pounds a week as wages plus all the sponsorship deals from the sportswear companies and the advertising that they do. But I like Coke. I enjoy Coke. Jack Daniels and water, forget it. Jack Daniels and Coke, I'm all with. And if you are a devout Muslim and you are anti-alcohol, I mean, I've even made cakes, taken cakes into work. um, And because I'd put a little bit of um, brandy into the cake or whiskey, um, which all the alcohol gets cooked off because the locals went, oh, 
there is alcohol in this. And I explained, no, all the alcohol gets cooked off. They wouldn't eat it. And I respect that. I respect their, their principles. But if they weren't taking so much money to play football, basically a game with no real skills other than being able to kick a leather bag around, if they weren't getting paid so much money and there wasn't so much um, sponsorship from, from big companies like Coca-Cola in football, then more kids would get a chance to, to play. More people would have access to watch the football because the big media companies buy it up and then it's pay-per-view thereafter, so they're reducing it. The season ticket holders at the grounds are being charged a fortune uh, for a season ticket, and then they still have to pay something like £70 per person per game to go and watch. So there's too much money in football, uh, and I'm afraid all the other sports are now going the same way. Well, it uh, couldn't have happened to a better company. The ESG nonsense they were doing, uh, we, we talked about it here recently, The uh, their, their supply chain, they were requiring the supply chains to hire diversely and basically stop hiring white people. And they were also doing it with their law firms and everything that basically everybody that was involved with Coke, they were requiring that. At the same time, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion, if you as a player are unable to stand up, uh, you're a role model, right? Kudos to the to the players that are actually standing up and refusing to do these um, these things that that violate their conscience. I I, I just I feel like it's um it, it's it's a it's a small gesture. Honestly, the they they should be taking a, a bigger stance. I mean, they they have a chance to affect uh, communities or or coming generations and whatnot because that they are so popular. So at least they're doing something. But I I wish it were more, uh, especially when. You're you're considered um, in the, the the higher pay brackets that you are. You would think they could do more, but you know, yeah, at least they're doing something. Yeah, at least they're doing something. All right, um, that's uh, that's all I had today, gentlemen. Uh, we can go ahead and pop out of here a few minutes early. Is there anything else that uh, either one of you wanted to uh, uh, to touch on, or uh, any final thoughts you want to give? What are we doing comedy again? I actually wanted to talk to you about that. I was going to call you tomorrow. <laughs> I wanted to see oh. if you wanted to do uh, Room One Hundred One next week. Yeah. Yeah, because the we we know what's going on in the world. We we're trying to tell our listeners what's going on in the world, and we need a break. We need we need to to cheer the flip up and do something a bit fun. So let's try and make that happen. Well, the last time we did Room One Hundred One, it was an exclusive, and I do recall that during that hour and a half, uh, or it was a two hour over two hour recording session, but it ended up being an hour and a half. And I recall that I was laughing so hard that I had a couple of tissues that I needed to wipe my face off with. So yeah, we do need a uh, we do need a break. And uh, like I said, I was going to call you tomorrow. I wasn't going to mention it on the on the podcast, but since you brought it up, uh, yeah, I do. do. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's plan on room one hundred one next week. I will call Jason. I will uh, I will get him back uh, because he asked me back. Bruce is our judge for the next time around. Now the question is the question is do we put it out? For all of our new listeners on our normal podcast, because we've picked up a lot of new listeners. Thank you all very much. Welcome. Welcome. We appreciate you listening and following very much. Appreciate that. So do we do it on the normal one to give them a break as well? Or do we do it on the exclusive just for our Telegram subscribers? Which one do you want to do? I think we owe it to everybody to put it out on on the normal channels, not, not as an exclusive. 
we're articulate enough to um, imply the expletive without actually using them, um, especially if we've got Jason on. He's a very articulate man. Uh, Bruce is, is articulate, and you used a couple of words tonight, Johnny, that I'd never heard of. So, um, so well done. Yeah, I, I think we should do it on, on the normal channels. What, what, what did I say that you'd never heard of before? Foment. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. I'm going to have to look it up in a minute. I've <laughs> never used the word. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so next week we will plan, well, as soon as we get you back next week, we will do a, a Room 101. I will make all the necessary arrangements this week, and I will keep in touch with all of you to make sure that uh, we get everybody there. All right. So um, for those of you who have not signed up to, go ahead. No, I just said outstanding. Sorry, carry on. That's because you can't okay. see me, isn't it? I do. Apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little difficult. Uh, it's easier to read your face. You know, you've got a you, you got a voice for television and a face for radio. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and of course, who do you think you're trying to kid saying you had a couple of tissues? You need at least a bath towel to wipe the sweat off that eight head you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, touche. All right. So for those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, please do go over there and get signed up to us. We put out all of our podcasts we do here every day. We also put out an exclusive podcast that Bruce and I will be on tomorrow just for our Telegram subscribers. So get signed up to us over there. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at tips.dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. And we know some of you have been doing that, and we really appreciate that. Also, if you're rating uh -huh. podcast, if you could give us a rating when you get a chance, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners everyone have a fantastic weekend we will see all of you that are signed up to us on telegram tomorrow on the exclusive if you are not then have a great weekend and we will see everybody on monday goodbye everybody